Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning in to Dose of Leadership. You know, I've been doing this show almost eight years. It'll be eight years in January. It's my favorite thing to do is to bring people on the show, have these value-packed deep dive conversations. And this one certainly does not disappoint. I can't think of a better way to sort of capping off 2020, as crazy as a screwed up year as it was. Someone like Dr. John Demartini to bring him on the show. And it's one of the most value-packed conversations I've had in a long time. And I didn't know much about him until a couple months ago. I started deep diving on his website, obviously trying to find guests for the show. And I, I could spend hours on his website, just value-packed full of content. How do I describe him? Well, he's, he's an expert in human behavior. He's a researcher. He's an author. He's a global educator. He's more than a consultant. I mean, this guy is, is a sage when it comes to you know, solutions to the human condition. I bet you you could sit down with – I would love to sit down and talk to him in the hours. It would save trouble of reading books because you could talk about psychology. You could talk about economics. You could talk about business. You could talk about spirituality. You could talk about relationships. Virtually anything and everything this guy seems to know something about. And it was just so refreshing to talk with him. I don't know. I'm at a loss for words, to be quite honest, like how I can describe – how fun it was and how value-packed it was to sit down and talk. I'm so blessed to, to know him, and I look forward to staying in touch with him. You're really going to enjoy this conversation. Check out his website, drdmartini.com, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, you could just you could spend hours just watching and listening and reading what's on his website, and um, you'll be a better person because of it. Um, he talks about everything from... You know, corporate empowerment to financial empowerment, how to become financially free, self-development programs, relationship solutions, finding your purpose, all of that is there. And um, he's an expert at it. And he's got a great backstory, um, how he almost died, you know, pretty much ran away when he was a young teenager to go surf in the North Shore of Oahu and almost died and then turned his life around and started studying the human condition. And since 1973, he's been providing these kind of solutions to the human condition. And I'll let, I'll let the interview speak for itself, but uh, check out his website and thanks for being a part of the show. This show is brought to you by my sponsor Hutton. They design, build, and service commercial construction projects all throughout the Midwest and they're expanding. They are longtime fans of this show and they're committed to the highest standards of leadership and that's why I'm proud to have them as a sponsor on Dose of Leadership. HUD's behind so many projects, stunning structures built from the ground up to remodeled hospitals, medical offices, manufacturing and industrial facilities, municipal buildings, financial institutions, churches, schools, on and on and on. They're architects and builders. One-stop shop, and that's what you want, right? If you're building something, wouldn't you want a single trusted partner to work with from start to finish? That's what they do. They get that there. No drop balls on their part. Only their vision delivered from paper to structure. And to them, it's more than a construction project. It's a creative endeavor. They put people over projects too, always. That's how it goes, how they treat their clients, how they treat their employees, how they treat their community. Character counts for them. That's how they select their staff, their subcontractors, and how they serve their community. It's not lip service. I know this personally. I know the owner. They're professional. They're hardworking. They're char- charitable, Midwestern in all the best ways. That's their culture, which is really no culture at all. It's just who they are. That's Hutton. 
So go check them out, huttonbuilds.com slash togetherwebuild. That's huttonbuilds.com slash togetherwebuild. All right, let's get on with this conversation, this value-packed conversation with Dr. John Demartini here on Dose of Leadership. Dr. John Demartini on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show, my friend. Well, thank you for having me. You know, I was perusing your stuff. I came across your stuff, and a lot of your thoughts and belief resonated deeply with me from the, the, particularly around the areas of authenticity, you know, kind of tapping into the energies of the universe, if you will. I'm big into that. Um, tell me a little bit about how you got started down this path. I was intrigued when you said, you know, you were living in a tent. I think when you said when you were 17 or 18, and then here you are just adding value to the world when it comes to leadership and self-awareness. How did that all, how did you get from there to here? Yeah, I, I was a kind of long-haired surfer guy living in the North Shore of Oahu, surfing big waves on nice. the North Shore. And I, um, which by the way, last year on my 65th birthday, I surfed North Shore again. Nice. Surf pipeline. But I, I, I was there and I nearly died. And coming out of that experience, I was led to a little class by Paul C. Bragg. And one night, this one man, in one hour, really spoke to me. Wow. I mean, he had one of those moments when somebody, you just, you're just going, boy, he's talking to me. And uh, that was the night I, it was the first night in my life that I thought maybe I could become intelligent. I was a dropout of school and I had learning problems. And I never thought I was going to even be able to read. I didn't really read until I was 18. No kidding. So I, I, uh, I really had a really kind of an epiphany night and that made me think, well, maybe I can do, maybe I can learn to read and maybe I can become intelligent and try to go the different trajectory. And I had a dream that night to travel the world and overcome my learning problems and teach and learn how to speak properly because I had speech problems and I never gave up on it. I've been doing it now 48 years. <laughs> That's great. If you so, stay with something long enough, everybody else dies out. You end up at the top, they say. Right. Well, I love that kind of – I call them splat moments. I mean, it sounds like if you almost died, I don't know. Were you homeless at the time or had you like run away or were you just well, lived in the streets? Yeah. I mean, I lived under a, a bridge when I was first moved to Hawaii. Then I lived in a park bench, under a park bench. Then I lived in a bathroom, then an abandoned car. I kept social climbing. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, – it wasn't because of my parents. They, they were lovely. They were amazing. They just saw that I wasn't going to make it in school because I couldn't read and I couldn't spell and I couldn't speak properly. And I wanted to surf. And so they said, yeah. go, go live your surf dream. Wow. So I hitchhiked to California when I was 14 and down in New Mexico. And then 15, I, I panhandled enough money to make it to Hawaii when I was 15. And I, I lived in Hawaii till I was almost 18 surfing. That's crazy. That's absolutely insane. 14, panhandling, make it to Oahu, living on the North Shore. Good gravy. Did you feel like when you said you had kind of a speech problem and maybe a learning disability, did you feel, was was that a limiting belief that held you back? Did you feel stupid? Did you feel dumb? Did people, did you think you were dumb or what was it? Well, I, when I was born, I'm, I definitely, I definitely had speech systems because I, one and a half, I was already going to a speech pathologist, right. putting strings and buttons in my mouth and doing all kinds of stuff to try to make my muscles properly work. When I got to first grade, the teacher 
tried to get me to, to learn to read and it just wasn't working. So I went from normal reading to <clears throat> remedial reading to having to wear a dunce cap, believe it or not. No way. We, yeah, we had to wear a dunce cap. Crap. Me and Daryl Dalrymple, never forget that. But my parents were asked to come to the school and the teacher said, I'm afraid your son's never going to be able to read, never be able to write, <clears throat> never be able to communicate effectively, not probably amount to much, not go very far in life. But he likes to run. So put him into sports or something. Let him excel there. Because I, I was born also with an arm and leg deformity. And so when I, I got out of races at four, so at four, all I want to do is run. I want to be free. Right. I run ever since, I guess. I never really stopped running. But I, <laughs> I'm very grateful for all those challenges because I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing if it, yeah. if it wasn't. I was going to say that because it's those, it's kind of yeah. those, um, if those in the mud moments, those trials, those tribulations, if you marinate and digest them properly, they, they, they shape your character, right? And they make you a better person, right? Embrace well, anything you can't say thank you for is baggage. Anything you can say thank you for right. is fuel. I was born on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> so my so my mom said to me when I was four, as she's putting me to sleep one time, she said, make sure you count your blessings as you go to sleep and think about what you're grateful for the day because those that are grateful for their life, they receive more to be grateful for. I have the largest collection of gratitudes that I do every single day. I have 26 volumes. Wow. Some of these volumes are 900 pages of gratitudes that I keep record of every single day. In That's fact, I've got your, you're already on it today. <laughs> you're, you're, you're on that book already. That I've never heard of. I'm a big fan of that. I've never heard it. If that, that is like a maniacal uh, application of it, which I think is outstanding. It does. It is a differentiator. It's a difference maker for sure. I know when I start and I still do. And, and even when I slip back into, you know, the ego starts to take over or I start to feel sorry for myself or things seem too difficult. If I slip back into that, it just totally go into gratitude. It does change everything. I mean, it totally changes your day. If you start out with that, the whole day is different, right? Well, I always, I always say that every human being has a set of priorities, a set of values. Mm -hmm. They're unique, like a fingerprint to them. And whenever they identify what's really, really, really deeply, intrinsically meaningful and inspiring and fulfilling to them and fill their day with the highest priority actions in that direction, they increase the probability of having objectivity and achievement and they have more to be grateful for. So it's almost like the symptomatology of our physiology and our psychology and even our sociology is really a feedback mechanism to try to make sure we're authentic. Yeah. When we're not, we get, we get all the symptoms to try to get us back to it. And so I, I'm a firm believer that if you want to, want to ask every day, how is no matter what's happening, how's it helping me fulfill my mission? How's it helping me become uh, more of service? How's it helped me fulfill my, my, my dream? And I find that that's very powerful. Because it, it allows you to extract meaning out of any experience. And then I could document that. I, I had this really amazing teacher when I was 23. He had six PhDs. He was 35 years old. He was an amazing guy. Wow. And he said, don't ever go to bed at night until you've actually reviewed your entire day and seen it in a state of, of grace. Anything in there that you can't say thank you for, go back and look 
and find the other side to it because you're unconscious of the other side to it. And so I would, I practiced that. And I found that that was very, very powerful. So I, I always say that if we live by priority, if we fill our day with high priority actions that inspire us, our day doesn't fill up with low priority distractions at home. And the way we fill it is by taking command of our perception, decisions, and actions. So our perceptions, we ask, how is whatever is happening help us fulfill that highest value? And if we then prioritize and live by the highest priority, and then we make decisions to do both of those, then there's every, everything's on the way, not in the way. And it really does make a difference in momentum building achievement. It really does. The, I love your, and I think it's becoming clear to me why I was so attracted to your stuff is it's because of the massive amount of intentionality that's behind it. I don't know if that makes, if that resonates with you when I say that, but you're very, very intentional, which leadership demands that and to, and to chart out a significant life, it does demand a high degree of intentionality. You know, even when I was going through your and I'm, I'm in the middle of it because it, it, it does take a, it's not something I can do quickly. Your values, like what are your values, you know, the free resource that you have to determining your values. And you would think, I think from an external, like people who've seen me with this show and they've heard me talk, that you would think that I would have all this kind of stuff figured out. But I do struggle with, like, where is this all going and where is this leading? I think, and I don't think that's abnormal, right? I mean, I think it's a constant assessment. I mean, and it shifts, right? I mean, as things go on and, and you get more clarity and alignment as you're working through these things, things kind of pivot and shift. And I'm okay with that. But I got to tell you, the last six months, I have been struggling about where is the show going? What am I doing with my brand? What's my purpose? I have been going through that quite a bit. And when I was going through your values exercise, I think it, before I did it, I think, oh, yeah, I got it pretty squared away what what I stand for. But I got to be honest with you. Some of those questions, I'm like going, like, wow, what do I really stand? You know what I mean? Like, And I consider myself a confident, goal-driven guy. But sometimes I don't even know where, I'm, where this is going sometimes. What do you think when you hear me, what I just said there well, when I went through that? I, I, I believe that our life demonstrates our values. Yeah. Because every decision we're making is filtered through it. Right. And so I look at, you know, people often tell me, you know, what they think is important. And a lot of it's social idealisms. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not interested in that because that's, yeah. that's not real. I look at what your life demonstrates. My life demonstrates teaching every single day. I've done 347 presentations already this year. Wow. And that's, and that's even with COVID. So, and I also read and write every single day. I don't miss a day, seven days a week. So my life demonstrates what's important. And so if you look carefully, really objectively at how you fill your space, how you really spend your time, you always find time and make time somehow for things that are more important. You know, what really energizes you? Mm-hmm. Where does your money really go? Mm-hmm. Not what you fantasize about. Because many, many people think, oh, I want to be financially independent. No, you don't. You want to buy consumables and live on the lifestyle of the rich and famous, not actually buy assets that build passive income. <laughs> <laughs> and then what do you really, really organize and ordered in? Where are you really disciplined that nobody ever has to remind you to do things? Mine is right, I'm clear for me because I guess I've been doing it. What do you really think about, visualize, and internally dialogue about, about how you really want your life and what is showing evidence? There's no evidence, it's just fantasy. But what really shows evidence 
You know, what really, if I say I want to travel the world, is there evidence of it? Well, I have 154 countries I've been speaking in. There's evidence. If there's no evidence, then it's just fluff. So I look at what evidence is there. I look at what you want to keep bringing the conversation to with people. What do you, what inspires tears to us that really inspires you? What is it that you have as goals that you have actually achieved and you, and you see a pattern to them, a direction to them? And what do you absolutely love learning? What do you really just spontaneously, I want to study that. I want to learn that. What do you, what do you engage in? And there is an iteration of that. And there'll be a common thread to it if you really answer it honestly. Yeah. I've been doing it 42, almost 43 years at doing that, that uh, assessment. And if we nail it, and then we start them on a direction of prioritizing their life towards it and learn to delegate lower priority things, they do build momentum and things start yeah. changing. Yeah. No, I I love everything you're saying there. I agree with you 100%. And it's, it's, it's doing the work. I guess that's what I love about your stuff. Again, it's the intentionality behind it, which produces those, those tangible results. And it, but it is work. And I think even sometimes when I, you know, I'm about halfway through those, those questions and it's taken a lot longer than I thought because I really want to make sure that it's, that it's right. What do you say to like uh, some of those I look at and I don't like, you know, if I'm being honest, I don't, it's kind of embarrassing because I don't like the answer. Right. But that's, yeah. but that's, that's, that's part of the process, right? Because that, if you're authentic, that shows you, okay. Well, what, what, what's interesting is we have a thing called brain offloading where we, when we're confronted by a challenge, we sometimes don't want to make the decision. So we look for an authority figure to give that decision to us. Right. And many times um, we'll subordinate to an outer authority, conform inject their values into our life. Right. It will cloud the clarity of our own calling, our own spontaneity. And then that cloudiness makes this almost like a self-depreciated vicious cycle of now we're not as certain. And now we want to even have more outside authority guiding us. And we get into um, what, what Ralph Waldo Emerson warned against. He said, envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. And Einstein said, uh, you know, if you're a cat expecting to swim like a fish, you're going to beat yourself up. And a lot of self-depreciation and a lot of so-called limiting beliefs, titles, are simply the subordination to an outer authority, confusing the real clarity of what's really important to you. And, and getting through that filter and coming to the essence, when you actually get to it and get to that authentic, and you prioritize in that direction, real authentic leadership does emerge and the heart does come out. And there's, there's an inspiration. There's a, there's a gratitude for life. You, you, they've even shown research has shown that when you are really living congruently with what's really valuable to you, you don't see failure, you see feedback and you, you don't see success because you're, a, you're, you're a, a, an individual on a mission more than a passionate pursuit of this label. Right. You're more, you, you got to, it's like, Elon Musk, I'm going to Mars. I don't, I don't care if I fail and have blowing up things. I'm going to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's, I, I had a dream when I was 17 to overcome my learning problems and to teach. I didn't care if there was one person in a room. I don't care if I was in an elevator. I didn't care if I was standing up at a restaurant unasked. I didn't care if it was 
it, wherever it was, any opportunity, you learn to play the flute by playing the flute. I took the opportunity to do that. And, and sooner or later, you know, you build a little bit of momentum. And momentum building, incremental momentum building is very powerful. Piggy banks become biggy banks if you just stay with something. And you will only stay with something if it's truly meaningful to you. And that's why it's so important to find out what really do you really value and not I, I, I'm, I, I consulted with this gentleman just two days ago. He's 62. He's retired. He's lost. His body's starting to break down. Mm. He's now going, I need some direction. I thought I was going to retire. It's killing me. I said, human beings have a sensory cortex and a motor cortex. The sensory cortex is for rewards, but the motor cortex is for service. And if we're not doing something that makes a difference, that contributes, that's meaningful, and that serves and fills somebody else's values, there's something that's empty. And I always say um, money without meaning leads to debauchery, but money with meaning leads to philanthropy. And philanthropy is not sacrificing for other people altruistically. It's, it's an equitable, sustainable, fair exchange of finding something that's deeply meaningful, that, that means something to others too. So you have the, the, the magnificence of actually watching lives change and feeling the same fulfillment doing it. Right. That's, that's an important. And when leaders tap that, when leaders in any area, whether it be raising a family or whether it's social political leadership or business leadership, when they really tap, there's a, there's a synchronicity of events that start happening in their life that's hard to describe. I, I, I'd love to share a story. I don't know if that's- no, if absolutely. A, yeah, Keep going. Yeah, absolutely. This is a, a really a touching story. And sometimes I get a little uh, feeling about it. But I was consulting- McKinsey Corporation asked me to come in to assist in Australia on a particular uh, company. And there were four executives there. And I met with them first. And they were kind of complaining that the CEO is getting ready to retire and he's not really focused. And he's just kind of winding down and it's costing the company. And they want to either get him out or get him fired up. So they asked me to do something one way or the other, you know, tell him to leave so we can take over and get this thing going. <laughs> right. But he's really hurting the business. And they don't want to admit it to him. They don't really have the courage to speak up to him. So they, they're hiring somebody like me to come in. <laughs> so I sit with this, this, this CEO, he's 62, 63 years old, and he is winding down. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you five minutes to tell me your summary of what's going on with your company. And he, he says, well, the Japanese are doing this and, this is happening here. And it was all external. I said, okay, now that the BS is over with, because it's never external. Right. I said, I said, what is it that called you to make this company? What was the, what was the thing that you forgot that inspired you to build this company? And he leaned back in his chairs and he tell, told the story. And the company was a, a forestry company and paper manufacturing of goods company. And he said, wow, I haven't told this story in many, many years. When I was a young boy, we had a desegregation and I was came from a very poor family and I got bused to a rich school. And when I got to the school the first day, all these rich people had new tennis shoes and new clothes 
and a satchel and paper and pens and everything else. And I didn't. I didn't have any paper. I didn't have a pen. I had beat up old clothes and I was humiliated. And when I went into class, people stayed away from me. At the end of the day, taking a bus to go there, I decided I'm not going to take the bus back. I'm going to walk. I didn't want to be humiliated. But before I left, I went through all the trash cans in the school. And I pulled out all the paper that wasn't used, that they'd wasted, the rich people. And I grabbed all the paper and put it in my arms. And I walked all the way home. And I came home and I put a weight on it and I trimmed it and I glued it and I made a pad. And I went and I grabbed all the pencils and pins that were in the trash. And I sharpened them and I came with pencils and a pad the next day. The reason I started this company is I never wanted to have a kid without a pad. And he shared that story and the executives had tears in their eyes. I had tears in my eyes. He had tears in his eyes. And I said to him, did you forget the kids? He said, I let the kids down. I got so successful, I've let my kids down. And I've been focusing on retirement. Yeah. And he decided, because I told him, I said, your wife's probably frightened to death of you coming home and being retired anyway. <laughs> <laughs> She's been living in a fantasy all these years yeah. that when you come yeah. and retire, and you've been living the fantasy. So I know I've been really anxious about it. I said, you really, really want to retire? He says, no. I said, let's go take care of those kids. Now, in the next three to six months, the momentum building of his company was mind-boggling. Because his heart, soul, and his mission, and his highest value, and his vision was reestablished. Because he got sidetracked by comparing himself to others mm -hmm. instead of comparing his actions to what's really his calling. Right. I've watched companies plateau because they've lost their vision and their reason for why they're in there. Because when the why is big enough, the house takes care of themselves. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, and I wanted to take the time to introduce you to Ben Hutton, the sponsor of today's episode. Ben, tell our listeners what Hutton is all about. Hey, thanks, Richard. You know, we're a huge dose of leadership fans here at Hutton, so I appreciate the opportunity to sponsor your, your program and be with you here today. You know, Hutton is a commercial architecture and construction firm headquartered in Kansas, but we do work really throughout the Midwest, designing and building things like hospitals, office buildings, schools, industrial and manufacturing facilities. But really, uh, more than that, we see ourselves as leaders in the communities that we serve. Yeah, that's one thing I've always appreciated about you, knowing you all these years. I love your intention around leadership and your vision as a company. So what do you think makes Hutton different? Sure. You know, Richard, our purpose is to build life into our employees' dreams, clients' visions, and community's future. We really start with putting our people first, and then we keep people at the center of everything that we do, which really means we walk alongside of our clients from the very first thoughts they have about a building all the way through completion and then maintenance into the future. 
I love it. I'm, that's why I'm glad that you're a sponsor of this show, Ben. So great. How can people learn more about your company? Yeah, so to learn just a little bit more about us, you could go to huttonbuilds.com slash togetherwebuild. Great, Ben. Thanks for being a sponsor. That is a great story. And it's true. I mean, it's it goes back to the handful of individuals and executives that I've coached. And, and when I reminds me of the time where I'd get in front of somebody and he'd see him and I'd call him and I'm determining if we're going to be a good fit or not. So we usually take him to dinner and I just start learning about them. And and I remember a guy was telling me and he, he was, I could tell he was telling me all the right things that he thought I wanted to hear, you know? And I said, what, what do you, what do you, why do you, why do you want to work together? And he says, well, I want to be successful. I said, what does that mean? He goes, well, I want to get in the C-suite. You know, I feel like my calling's a C-suite and I want to make this amount of money. And it was, you know, I want to make 230K a year as a minimum and blah, 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 and all this stuff and house, car, whatever. And I said, well, what does it mean to have a significant life? What does that look like? That that sounds good. That sounds like it's successful, I guess. I said, but what does it mean to have a significant life? And you kind of saw him melt, right? Like his shoulders kind of drooped a little bit. And he thought about it, and then it's amazing when you ask somebody, what does a significant life look like versus a, a successful life? The significant life answers, and I started asking that question all the time after the, I asked this guy. The significant questions are almost similar to, to the person. I mean, they almost say the same thing. When I ask the success question, they give me varying things of money, position, title, houses, physical things. When I ask the significant question, it's about leaving a lasting legacy. I want my spouse to be proud of me. I want my kids to be proud of me. I want to know that I was here and made a difference. You know, I want to change my part of the world. When I say change the world, not, you know, invent some new invention that revolutionizes the world, but just change their world, right? And that story that you were telling me just kind of, I mean, that's the secret sauce, right? You got to tap into that what your calling is. It's just, it's, can I share another story? Yeah, go ahead. So I had this, the, you, you're reminded me of the story by what, what you just said. So I was very significant. I had um, a doctor who contacted me and asked me to consult for it. And I said, okay. And he said, he says, I want you to make me successful. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> and I said, okay, so where are you successful? And he goes, well, I'm not. I want to be successful. And I said, great. So where are you successful? Where are you achieving what you're intending already? He said, well, I'm not. I, I, I want to be successful. I said, so where are you successful? He said, Dr. DiMartino, we're not starting off right. I said, no, we are. I'm asking a very important question. Where are you already achieving what you set out to do? And I made him stop and he kind of looked and he goes, okay, I have an amazing relationship with my wife. We've been together 10 and a half years and it's amazing. And I have a very, that was a goal. And it, I, I, I have that. <clears throat> Where else you have success? Well, my son's in baseball and I'm the coach and we are probably going to win the pennant this year. I said, fantastic. Where else are you successful? Um, we have this beautiful yard and the whole family works on it. We'll probably have the yard of the summer for the game this year. What else are you successful? 
Well, our mother-in-law lives with us and very few people can get along with their mother-in-law. We have this amazing relationship. She's like a real mother to all of us. I said, what else, where else is successful? Well, on Wednesdays and sometimes Sundays, I'm a lay minister at my church. And, and he goes on. And we made a list of things for the first time looking at what he's actually doing that he's intending. And I said, you're not lacking success. You're having success in your own hierarchy of values, but you're perceiving yourself not successful because you're comparing yourself to somebody else. Yeah. But who are you comparing yourself to? He goes, I think I know who that is. There's a guy up the street. He's got a six, 6,000 square foot home. Six, he's got about six cars. He's got a big practice. He makes a lot of money. And yeah, I'm, I'm comparing myself to that. I said, do you know him very well? He goes, yeah, I know him pretty good. I said, how's the relationship with his wife? Oh, it's interesting you ask. They, they have a very volatile relationship and it's sometimes a blink and sometimes she leaves for a few weeks and then comes back. It's a bit of craziness. And I said, and, and does he have any kids? Yep. Does he have a son? Yeah. How's the relationship with his son? Uh, he's having problems in school and he's, you know, he's a teenager and he's doing the drug scene and he's, he's got a lot of, a lot of challenges. He's, I said, and um, mother-in-law, does he, does a mother-in-law, oh, they moved out of the country to get away from that crazy lady. <laughs> and and uh, what about the yard? Do they work in the yard? Uh, no, they have people to take care of it. I, in fact, I don't think he even pays attention to his yard. <clears throat> and does he, does he do any lay ministry? So, no, he's not into that kind of stuff. He's focused on his business. I said, can I make a, a first message for you here? I said, he's not more successful than you or less successful than you. He has a hierarchy of values that has a higher value on business and finance and a lower value on family and spirituality. And you have a higher value on spirituality and family and a lesser value on business and finance. You're not one ounce less achieving than he is, but your hierarchy of values is dictating your destiny. Now, unless you shift your values and raise the value of business and finance on it, to have an expectation to try to live in his values will be self-defeating. So first of all, you want to make sure you honor the form it is, because if you're our cat and you're expecting to swim like a fish, you're going to beat yourself up. Yeah. Or if you are a fish and you expect to climb a tree like a cat, you're going to beat yourself up. And your judgment of yourself is not because you're not successful. It's because you're comparing yourself to others instead of comparing your own achievements to your own real values. And that's a very important principle that people sometimes subordinate to other people who they think are successful. I see this with celebrity, you know, worshiping and things. Yeah. And the reality is, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of celebrities. They don't have a better life necessarily. Yeah, right. Exactly right. <laughs> they, have, they have amazing restrictions and challenges and sometimes problems that you probably wouldn't want. Yeah. And the reality is it's wise to actually just compare your daily actions to what's truly deeply meaningful, what spontaneously is inspiring to you, and stick to that and build momentum, and you will end up eventually discovering that the individual that you're envying and trying to imitate, which is <laughs> not going to work, is probably doing the same thing for you about your relationship and your kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that comparison trap is such an insidious, it's probably, it's a problem of epic, epidemic proportions. I mean, that's, you know, it's the whole problem with social media and everything else. I mean, it just drives so much of 
I think of this, the mediocrity and the stagnation that we feel in our lives. It's that comparison trap. It is so insidious. But like I said, the remedy is doing the work of, of finding out what the, your hierarchy of values are. And, and that, is that really the, is that really the foundation of the hierarchy of values? Is that the, for you, is that the foundation of everything? Well, really it is. What's in, you know, what's amazing. I've been studying uh, anything that drives a human being from the neurology to the physiology to you name it. And we filter our reality. We have a pulvinar nuclei in the thalamus, which is considered the gating and filtering uh, nucleus. And all the sensory input that we get from all the 110 senses, we got a lot more senses than most people think, which is visceral and also somatic. All of those senses are passing through this area before it goes to conscious awareness in the cortex. And it is a filtering according to what you value. And what happens is you, if you're a mother, say 35 years old with three children under the age of five, and your highest value is those beautiful children. When you walk in a ball, you're going to see children's clothes, children's entertainment, children's education, children's health items, anything to do with helping those children, you're going to spot, you're going to right. notice, you're going to buy. Your perception, decisions, and actions are going to be impacted by that highest value. You don't see uh, stock, you know, who's, who's got the business businesses to buy stock in. You won't, won't see that. But if you're now an entrepreneur and your highest value is building an entrepreneurial adventure, you're going to see a completely different reality. Nobody sees the same reality. Right. We live in a participatory universe, as Weider says, and we all have our own hallucination of reality based on our own filtering, based on our values. So if we don't know what those values are and we expect to excel in things that are lower on our values, trying to please other people kind of thing, we have attention deficit disorder, retention deficit disorder, imagination deficit disorder, and intention deficit disorder uh, in the areas of our low values. Yeah. And so we keep kind of banging our head against the wall when we try to be inauthentic. And our identity, our ontological identity literally revolves around the highest value, which the ancient Greeks called the telos, the end in mind. Mm -hmm. And when we live by the telos, our telomeres extend, as Blackburn has described. And our telencephalon comes online and our, our medial prefrontal cortex and our executive center comes online and we get inspired visions and we have strategic planning and we have foresight and, and we want to execute the plan spontaneously. And we have self-governance of our amygdala so we don't get distracted by impulses and instincts that normally run people hedonistically. And we go on to doing something that's objective and meaningful. And we tend to expand our space and time horizons and see the grand design of what we would love to create in the world. And we have clarity. And those that have clarity, they, they do amazing things. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I'm, I'm sitting here, was thinking this question as you were saying that. It's like, so you go through the exercise and you say you go through your, you get alignment and clarity or at least clarity on what your hierarchy of values are and say that you know let's use the example you gave at the beginning of the conversation where i want i value traveling the world but the evidence shows that i haven't and so what in, in what if that the values that would feed everything you just said there to travel the world what if my that was like one of the lowest values there do i go oh that isn't who i am and i don't pursue that or do i just because I have that awareness that the, my, that I, my values for whatever traveling the world are so low, I need to now move that up the hierarchy. You have exactly both options. 
And and I think when I when I teach people this, I, I explain to them that you have two options. You can change your values to match your highest goals, mm-hmm. or you can change your goals to match your highest values. What would you prefer? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. You have that you have the choice. I teach people both of those strategies because I believe that they desire because I have people sometimes I, I was speaking in South Africa, we had about five thousand people there. And I asked if you want to be financially independent. Every hand went up in the room and their legs even went up in the air. <laughs> right. And I said, Great. How many of you are passive income is exceeding active income from passive investments and have financial independence today and have the income that you are looking at? All the hands went down but seven out of five thousand. Wow. Now the, the the actual financial independence is less than one percent. That's reality. Mm-hmm. So here we have seven people with their hands up. They're in the front the VIP section, which is more likely. And everybody's kind of like going, hmm. And I said, now I want to show you something. I want you to get a piece of paper out. And I want you to write down on this piece of paper. You're going to have 60 seconds to write it. If I gave you 10 million US dollars right now, and you didn't have to work, if I gave you 10 million US dollars right now, tax free, I want you to write down what you would do with that $10 million right now. You got 60 seconds and I need to write down the 10 things you would do with the $10 million. And I'm going to say on your mark, get set, go. And you got 60 seconds to write all 10 things. And everybody's rushing to write those 10 things down. And the ones that are most irrationally exuberant versus the ones that are practically focused, you can watch them. And what's interesting is I said, now stop. Got a minute. I said, now turn to the next person on the left and total up how much money you have left as an asset compared to what you just spent on consumable depreciable. And it ranged between 20 and 80% was already spent on consumables, depreciables in one minute. Wow. Which meant that they didn't really want to have financial independence. Right. Lifestyle of the rich and famous. They wanted immediate gratification. And people who are not engaged and inspired and fulfilled in doing what's truly meaningful to their life, they try to fulfill their life by consumption. Yeah, consumption. And consumption is living vicariously through other overpriced brands instead of building your own brand and momentum of a a real Mm -hmm. legacy. So when they all saw that, they go, I said, now, the first principle I'm going to teach you here is the hierarchy of your values dictates your financial destiny. And money circulates through the economy from those who value at least to those who value it most. And when I mean valuing it, I don't mean grabbing it and spending it. I mean buying assets that go up in value so it grows. That's when you appreciate it. Because when you depreciate it, you buy things that go down in value. And it was a kind of an eye-opener then. I said, so you have to make a decision right now. Make a decision. Do you really, really, really want to do that? And tor- or do you want to torture your life having the expectation and wondering why it's not happening? Make a decision. Because I can show you something right now, six steps, that can increase the probability of you raising it up on your value so you can start to see opportunities, take advantage of opportunities, and actually start to invest money. But until you buy assets and pass up immediate gratification for long-term return, this fantasy is not going to happen. And living a fantasy makes your life a nightmare. Because you can compare your current reality to a fantasy, you're always going to self-defeat. 
And it was a real eye opener. And you could see people going, hmm. And uh, there were other speakers on this conference. Richard Branson was one. And, but there were other salespeople. Yeah. And they were selling you know, how to get rich quick and all that. Right, and right, I, right. I just, I'm not into that. Yeah. I'm, I'm into getting wealthy, methodically, doing what you love, being of service, managing your money wisely so you get more money to manage. And I'm a firm believer that doing that with meaning is very fulfilling. So there was a big eye-opener, and I gave them what I call the six steps to wealth, which are six fundamental uh, action steps that I found common to all the 30-something billionaires that I've interviewed about how they became very wealthy. There were six things that I found common to them. And so I then told them, unless you have a value on these six things, the probability is very low. So we have to now stack up associations and benefits of doing these six action steps if to raise it up on your value list so you actually will build wealth. And um, then we went to work and we gave them the opportunity to to reassociate in their brain because when they make a decision, they make a decision based on whatever they think gives them more advantage and disadvantage. So if they believe that there's more advantage of buying that immediate gratification first buying that asset that pays them long-term, they'll just buy that immediate gratification and they'll be a consumer. Mm-hmm. And then they just keep having accumulate a house filled with stuff that's depreciating. You know that 25 or more percent of the average house is closets and garage filled with depreciating stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They'll pay a quarter of a million dollars for a garage and closet. <laughs> right. Buy stuff that sits, that depreciates. Yeah. It's amazing what people do. It's like that old George Carlin uh, bit about stuff, right? I need a bigger house to, to fit all my stuff, right? So I can get more stuff. Right? So you can yeah. then, yeah. Uh, Parkinson's law says that any space, if it's not allotted for high priority things, it won't get filled up with low priority things. That's just the way it works. Yeah. I, I, I'm a, I guess, a minimalist in some respects. I'd rather buy assets. Um, I travel most of the time. I live on a ship, as you know. And so I, I have a limited space, so there's no place to put it. Right. So people give me something, I just say, you obviously bought it because you were projecting your own needs onto me, so just take it. <laughs> I don't want all that stuff. Yeah, I like that. It, it becomes an obligation and a distraction, and I, and I like to keep it to priority. I always want to... Ask yourself, when I, when I tell people, I, I had this lady that I had dinner with, and she wanted to buy this new Chanel purse, right? right. It's a, it a, not a big expensive one, about a 5000 one, not a 50000 And I said, how much money do you earn a year? She goes, uh, about 100000 And I said, and, and um, how much, out of all the money you've made in your life versus what your net worth is, how much have you made in your whole life, and what is your actual net worth? And she goes, hmm. And it came out less than 1%. And I said, if it's, let's say it's rounded off to 1%. That means if you buy that $5,000 purse, you need to make how much? If it's 1% savings, 100 times by that, you had to go and earn 500,000. That's five years worth of work to get that. And then you also, that 5,000, if you invested that, that would compound and double about every seven or eight years. So you know, over a period of time, that's 10, 20, 40, 80, 160,000. So you're now talking at $660,000 purse. Is that really priority? <laughs> she said, you have a way of destroying a woman's 
dream. I said, I'm just making you stop because you were just bitching about not finding a rich man and bitching because you didn't have enough money to do all the things you want to do. And I'm trying to make you aware of why. Yeah. That's great stuff, man. That's what are some, can you share some of those six steps or is that something that we can find on your own? Yeah, sure. I I asked people in the, in the seminar there in South Africa, I said, uh, let's everybody name a billionaire. So pick, pick a billionaire. Richard Branson. Okay. Did he build one or more businesses that serve great numbers of people? And the answer is yes. Yeah. Pick another billionaire. Um, Steve Forbes. Did he build a business that serves great numbers of people? Yeah. I've never met a billionaire unless they inherited it. Uh, but the one that created it built some business that served ever greater numbers of people. Mm-hmm. I found that in the book Wealth and I found that observation. So if you don't really have a, a, a calling, you might say, to serve and find a need and fill a need, the fantasy of being financially really empowered is less likely. Yeah. I, I always say that in the book of wealth by Hubert Hal Bancroft, it said that the, the, the key, the wealthiest individuals in history over the last two, 6,700 years in this book were people that felt by divine providence or human sovereignty, a calling to serve vast numbers of people. And I, Bezos, you can see it. You can see it. Bezos. You yeah. can see it in Bill Gates. Yeah. So, I have this a service ethic. I have no problem doing it. That's why I've accumulated wealth. But that's the first one. You can't just narcissistically be self-absorbed and not think about filling the needs of other people if you really care about being wealthy. Yeah. Wealth in, in the, the book of wealth, it, it says it beautifully that there were two driving forces in wealth building, spiritual and material. And the spiritual was the calling of service, and the material was the equitable fair exchange in reward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the mastery of that is authenticity. If we're narcissistic and exaggerate ourselves and touch ourselves down, we talk down to our customers and employees and become autocratic and they create unions and add cost and and people don't want to buy from us because it it doesn't feel like it's meeting their needs. If we minimize ourselves, we'll sacrifice at the profit. We have to have true authenticity which is true equanimity, which is true spirituality, which is the key to true materiality. They're one and the same. There's yeah. no separation as some philosophical people have thought. So that's the person is, is, and so writing down 100, even 200 benefits of serving ever greater numbers of people and building a business that serves people. If you don't really have a dream of building a business that serves people or finding, and that doesn't have to be direct. It could be indirect. Richard Branson doesn't do every one of his businesses. He has people helping him with those businesses. Right. I, I have ancillary businesses that I have people helping me with. You know, so you don't have to do it all yourself. But if you're a visionary and you work a, a win-win with somebody else and they can win building that dream and you can hold that vision with them and work together as that, you can leverage yourself as a serial entrepreneur in many different directions. Mm-hmm. So, but the, it's the, it's the, the calling to serve yeah. is what I've found common to the, all the wealthiest people in that. I love that. The second one. So 200 benefits of doing that. And that's, that's not 200 benefits of, oh, now that I've served, now I can buy that yacht. Now I can buy that big car. <laughs> right. It's, it's not the benefits of consumerism. It's not about the lifestyle. 
because lifestyle is a secondary thing. The primary thing is the service. Mm-hmm. And if, I, if people get it backwards and they wonder why they bang their head against the wall. Right. The second one was 200 benefits of managing that business directly or indirectly, putting the people in there that actually love managing people and managing businesses to maximize profits. So now they're incorporating Parkinson's law. Now they're incorporating Ricardo's law of competition, competitors advantage. Now they're, they're putting in uh, Pareto's principle. They're putting in the, the highest priority actions that serve the most with the most efficiency. They're putting in Mopertius's law of least action to, because we are rewarded. Everybody's rewarded to the degree that they're efficient and effective at being service oriented in a way that maximizes the, the profits to help the employees get the best deal and the customer to get the best deal. And that drives the business where you end up with the best deal. Yep. And so the, the, the real focus on that, on the mastery of that, what's the benefits of actually mastering that? Learning to be able to be a leader, learning how to care about it, learn how to employ people, learn how to help the economy grow. If, if that's not a dream, you, you don't have that, that special push that's going to take. The third one is 200 benefits of saving an ever progressive portion of those profits and building a cash reserve before you try to go in and and get into leverage. So so you find out that the cash reserves of the Fortune 100 companies are having between 40 and 100% of the annual income is in cash reserve. So they stabilize the business to dissolve the external extrinsic volatility initiators to stay focused objectively on the mission. And, and, and Southwest Airlines is great at this. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't allow themselves to get emotionally wavered from a mission. And by having cash reserves stored, you can take advantages of major swings in the market, which happen every seven to 10 years. And you can also just stabilize and not be angst and not be externally driven or distracted by anything perturbing and allows you to focus. And that in the long run produces great returns in business. So 200 benefits of that. Fourth one is 200 benefits of investing in progressively ever greater degrees of leverage. I call it earning the right to risk. And and selecting the investments consciously and, and uh, putting it, not trying to get rich overnight, because that usually makes you more gambling thinking, but just and, and buying a company, buying companies and other companies that also serve. You know, Mary Buffett, I had the opportunity to lecture with her a few times in different cities. And she wrote a great little book on the, on the financial statement and that she learned from uh, Warren and how they use the financial statement to help find out whether what really is a producing company. Mm-hmm. And I, I say, you, if you buy a company and you buy shares in a company that is consistently serving people, I bought 38 years ago a peanut butter, a shares in a peanut butter company. The peanut butter that I ate when I was a child, and when I die, it will still be there. <laughs> and, and, and peanut butter is something that's kind of a staple in society. Right. So, and it serves people, and little kids love it, and people eat it, and and so I, I, I look at companies that progressively, consistently serve people's lives that, that they, they rely on. 
you know, the, the toothpaste or things that are just steady. I love buying quality companies that serve ever greater numbers of people. So investing in those on top of also having your cash reserve once you have your reserve and, and building things that serve the world collectively and, and selectively in a way that's also supplementing your own business, because those are the things that your business is going to need, is, is, is a, the next step. And, and 200 benefits of doing that, being conscious that way. The fifth one is 200 benefits of accumulating a fortune. Because so many people, once they get enough money for their lifestyle, they sometimes, they, because they don't have anything beyond that to accumulate, they start buying clutter. Mm-hmm. They just buy stuff. They buy unnecessary stuff, impulsive stuff. And um, so having a desire to accumulate it, so it starts working for you, because I found that you attract people, opportunities, ideas, associations, and things as the wealth grows, you attract things. And the question is, is not, I have no interest in having financial independence so I can live the fancy life. I've got a freaking fancy life. I don't need that. I, I've had that. But the, the, something that's meaningful, the, the things that distinguishes us from the animal is hedonism is not a distinction. Meaning is. Mm-hmm. We have meaning. Right. And right. have fun. That you can contribute to is very important. And to accumulate the wealth to target those contributions. And the last one, the sixth one, 200 benefits of creating a financial cause that leaves a legacy. Mm-hmm. Something that is deeply meaningful to you. And I just helped that guy the other day find that. And it was, it was, a, he got quiet all of a sudden. He got, int- he really got introspective. He goes, wow. That's been in me for a long time. I feel it in here right now. I said, that's the one you want. That's something. It's not just a, a charity. That's probably not even going to do what it's, it's planning. It says it does. This is something that's meaningful to you. That you, you put some focus on Bill Gates, when he, he built his business, he built a business to serve large people. He built a, uh, with Paul Allen, they managed the business efficiently. He accumulated a cash reserve. He keeps a very strong cash reserve. So is Buffett, and very strong cash reserves. Apple has a big cash reserve. Then they accumulated some wealth, and then they and they saved and they invested and they accumulated, and then they created the, the Gates Foundation. Right. I found that sequence. Now there's. Anything that is proven to help an individual build wealth by automation, I, I, I do all my wealth building is automated where there's no emotion involved. It's just electronically done. Mm-hmm. And I don't wait to see if I have extra to do it. I commit it to it. And then I, I, tra- I, I go out and serve people and, I, and it fills up. But if you automate it and you structure it and you put those six things in place and anything you've learned that you know assist in that, that you, you glean from people that are masters at it. You put it on your checklist and add up the benefits of it where it's high enough on your values that you make a decision to do it increases the probability of you end up being one of those one percenters. That's that simple. And and I think personally, there's no nothing more inspiring than to actually take that, what, you, what you're doing and pass that torch and try to help other people do that. That's what really accelerates it. Yeah. I knew this conversation was going to be Really good. Um, and we're coming up on an hour and uh, just amazing stuff. 
and I knew this would be good. And I knew when I reached out to you a few weeks ago that this would be good. You did, I mean, didn't disappoint. I could, we could go on for another two or three hours, but, um, you'll have to come back because there's so much I'd like to explore with you. How can people reach out to you, find your stuff? You got a great website, by the way, uh, a great podcast. How can people connect with you? You know, the easiest way is just go to my website, drdmartini.com. And uh, it's D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I. Sometimes I spell it Martini, but it's Martini, all one word. But drdmartini.com. And I, I, I encourage if people would take the time, take about 30, 40 minutes, probably maybe longer. Go and do the value determination process. Do it now. Do it a week from now, a month from now, and every quarter. And take a look at it. It's private. You know, and will see it except you. And just take a look and and don't the, the questions you're going to be asked, don't amp, answer those superficially. Yeah. Really reflect. Be objective. Imagine somebody hovering over your life and and videoing you. What is it? What's real there? And get real because you want an authentic life. Yeah. You want an inspired life. You want a life with meaning. And I am certain that the very highest value to the degree that you fill your life with highest values, you have more meaning in life, more self-worth in life, more achievement in life, more momentum in life, more legacy in life. There's so many upsides to just living authentically by priority. Take the time to do that value determination process. It will, it, it'll be an eye opener. And then, and there's so much on my website. It's an educational website. Yeah, it's you can great. It's, if you go to the media, the media section, you could be watching radio, television, newspaper, magazine, podcasts for the rest of your life on there. Take advantage of the education that's on there. And um, it, it lets you know where I'm around the world and what I'm doing so that you can just look that up. But yeah, that's the best place. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I love your website and uh, I'm in the middle of the value determination exercise, which is really great. Uh, I love your stuff, Dr. John. I think it's just, it's just great. And I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm proud to bring into the Dosh Leadership Tribe. And I, I look forward to staying uh, connected with you and, and, and love ha- would have you love have you back on the show. It's just been amazing. Great conversation. I would love to. Any time I can be of service, please, please uh, let me know. Just let Justine or me or whatever know. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, sir. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dosa Leadership brings to your world. Go to dosaleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.